Hello and welcome to 444 Fantasy Football's Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, John Paulson, and this is another bonus installment, the eighth uh, bonus installment of the podcast where we talk 2017 draft strategy with some of my favorite analysts uh, in the industry. Uh, today's guest, you will know him uh, from Pro Football Focus Fantasy. Uh, he's an award-winning uh, Sirius XM host, and he's also on television on cbssportsnet.com. Uh, his name is Jeff Ratcliffe. You can find him on Twitter at Jeff Ratcliffe, R-A-T-C-L-I-F-F-E. Uh, one of my favorites in the industry. We're super accurate this this uh, episode because he's won major uh, a number major number of awards over at Fantasy Pros for his accuracy. Uh, thanks, Jeff, for coming on. Yeah, thanks, John. Glad to be here. And uh, I guess that makes me, if I'm the eighth, I'm like a mid round, mid first round pick <laughs> in terms of this. But I, 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 you know, hey. This crew that you've put together for this series is really awesome. It's like the the who's who of uh, fantasy analysts, so definitely honored to be a part of it. Uh, we're going to go position by position, uh, talk about the draft, and talk about what Jeff's seeing in his uh, mocks and his uh, early drafting. But the first thing I want to ask you about, it's a hot topic right now with Ezekiel Elliott being uh, suspended for uh, six games. He's going to appeal the uh, suspension and you know hoping to get it reduced, but... Um, I'm seeing analysts say that he's still a first-round pick. I'm seeing some say he's a second-round pick now. I'm seeing people say they'll take him in the third round or the fourth round or later. There's some analysts saying they won't take him at all. Uh, what's your take on uh, Ezekiel Elliott? How would uh, how should owners uh, approach him in the draft? Yeah, there are a variety of perspectives out there right now, and I, I think you know we we have to address that. I am not going to draft this guy at all. First and foremost, I, I do think that's a foolish perspective. I don't think there is any player out there who you should say do not draft or must draft at that for that matter, unless the guy is hurt or he's going to miss the whole season for some reason or another. Then there do not draft. It's do not draft at certain ADP or must draft at certain ADP. Right? Uh, that's that's how I or or certain spots in the draft. Maybe I should say that instead of ADP. And that's how I'm viewing Elliott. Now, that being said, I think Elliott is a, a mid-second round pick in standard, a back-end second round pick in PPR. If you want him, you're going to have to probably take him in that range. Uh, somebody in your league will. We know that every year, you know, it's the, the same guy who drafts Josh Gordon every every freaking year is probably going to be the person who drafts Ezekiel Elliott in that range. It is playing a little bit with fire considering that if the suspension stands, it is the first seven weeks of the season, six games, seven weeks because of the week six bye, and you're already halfway through your fantasy season. That being said, though, you are going to have a replacement level player in there. And even, you know, even if you calculate replacement value and add that to Elliott, I mean, he slots in his number, the number eight running back for me. And you're probably likely to, to get more than replacement level production from that starting spot while Elliott's suspended. It's just there, there's volatility there. So for me, I think I'm going to have him just a tick below that range that I just mentioned on my personal draft board, which means it's very likely that I won't draft him in any draft. He's probably going to go a little bit earlier than I'm comfortable with. But, uh, you know, again, it just it's it's from a personal standpoint, if you feel like you can make up a lot of ground at running back later on in drafts, which this year is really hard to do then by all means, go for it. But uh, maybe if you're a more risk-adverse person, uh, wiser to go in different directions. He's uh, just pulled up his ADP. He's going uh, about pick 18 to 19 uh, over the last three or four days after this news has sort of settled. And uh, so that's mid-second round. Uh, that's uh, for NFL 10. So that's PPR formats. That's a little bit pricier than what I'm willing to pay because I think there's a little bit of a drop off there at the end of the second round into the third round. That's when I start to uh, 
feel like I could pull the trigger on that and then try to make do uh, at RB2 for the first uh, six or seven weeks of the year. How do you, uh, just as a side note here, how do you feel about Darren McFadden? Do you feel like he's got that job for the first six weeks or is it a little bit up in the air? He had 239 carries for 1,089 yards, three touchdowns, uh, 40 catches for 328 yards uh, as the sort of starter for, for Dallas in 2015 didn't do a whole lot last year. Cause he was injured for most of the year, but came in and seemed like he was the number one, number two guy there. How do you feel about McFadden in the middle rounds? If you're trying to pair him with uh, Ezekiel Elliott, I think it'd have to be uh, late middle rounds, like ninth round value is what I have on him right now, because yeah, you will get RB two production out of him. I'm not worried about Rod Smith coming along and taking that job by the way, or, or Ronnie Hillman or Alfred Morris, whoever makes it through that gauntlet of those, those backups. But uh, you got to realize as well that once Elliott's back, then McFadden is just a handcuff. Like you're not, it's not a committee situation. So you're really, you're, you're banking on six games of value. Uh, so I don't even know if you draft Elliott that you necessarily have to draft McFadden. I don't know if that's necessarily a strategy that you, you go in knowing that you're going to have to deploy. Uh, so, you know, that's how I feel about him. You know, he's basically, he's in the RB fours for me overall. And then he'll, he will be. Uh, very likely an RB2 during that time that Elliott's out. Yeah, it looks like he's going about pick 110, so you're looking at ninth, 10th round uh, for McFadden. And another option that uh, you could use is Jaquiz Rogers because he's going to start for the first three games probably uh, with Doug Martin out, and that gives you, gets you halfway through your, your Ezekiel Elliott suspension. So that's another option. So moving on to just uh, general draft thoughts, Jeff, you know, you've probably been doing a lot of mock drafting and uh, MFL 10s. Uh, what are you seeing in your early drafts? Are, are there players uh, or is there a position uh, drop off that you're seeing at any certain point? Or what are you noticing about 2017? Uh, you know, it, the the whole every action has the equal and opposite reaction is certainly played out throughout most of this offseason. So last year, I, I, I had a lot of flack because I called zero RB a fad. And I'm sticking to that because, you know, every year we see this ebb and flow, ebb and flow. And then last year, everybody goes all in on wide receivers, including in standard leagues. And a lot of folks, especially those who paired up DeAndre Hopkins with uh, Allen Robinson, like maybe on the one-two turn, they got burnt big time by it. They they really did. Not that running back was that great at the top end either when you look at, at somebody like Todd Gurley last year. Uh, it just shows the unpredictability across the board, but there's always these reactions. And the response early on in drafts was tons of RBs early. I've seen that sort of uh, level out a little bit more now that I guess some sanity has has prevailed that more people are doing drafts, etc. But it's still, RB is heavy early on. I think for good reason, though, because running back really drops off pretty dramatically as you get into the middle rounds of drafts, and it gets really dicey really quickly. I mean, once you even get into that, like, Paul Perkins range of draft, the draft, it, it's like, do I really want to roll into battle with Paul Perkins as my RB2? I mean, he's looking lackluster at best. I kind of like the fact that they may spread this, this, spread the offense out a little bit, which bodes positively for him. That's what he ran in at UCLA in the, in the spread offense there. He was effective, but are they really going to do that? Or is it just going to be that plain, Hey, three wide receivers on the field at all times. Here's, here's the New York giants offense. We know exactly what they're going to do, or are they actually going to get Ingram involved? And then it becomes something really interesting and unique. That's another question entirely, but I get, I get very uneasy about that thought. So what I've noticed recently, and we're doing a whole bunch now of actual drafts, not just mock drafts is that I, I have been prioritizing running back just a little bit more earlier on on my draft board in the first three rounds of the draft 
typically coming away with two running backs in that span. There is there is uh, one instance too where I actually went running back, running back, running back, and then it's the fourth round, and I am not an early round quarterback drafter. But Aaron Rodgers was still on the board, and if you're going to leave Aaron Rodgers on the board in the fourth round, it's foolish to pass up on him. So I took him in that range. Ordinarily, I would never, you know, I'd never even think about that. So I, I think the 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 balance has sort of ha, has come back a little bit uh, over the span of time, and you know, with that in place, if it's not crazy running back heavy in early in a draft, then I am leaning towards taking more of them early. Uh, if it is crazy running back heavy, though, value falls at wide receiver, and you make out like a bandit there too. So you touched on the quarterback position a little bit. Well, that takes us right into our first segment here, with the, which is the, the, the QBs. And you, you mentioned that you're usually not one to draft a quarterback early. And I've had the same experience where you're sitting there, especially in these industry drafts, where you're sitting there in the fourth round, and a lot of people are just waiting on quarterback, waiting on quarterback. They don't draft Brady. They don't draft uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, at all. Those guys sometimes slip to the late fourth round. Um, I'm, as, as I mentioned earlier, I touched on earlier, I'm noticing a drop-off in the third you know, when I'm looking at my value, it, it looks like a, a top quarterback is a decent pick there when you're not real excited about DeAndre Hopkins or Allen Robinson or, uh, or Isaiah Crowell. Um, so there are instances that you would pull the trigger on uh, Rodgers. Do you have Brady uh, about the same level? Uh, well, and on the board that I have, I have Rodgers as a, a fourth-round value, Brady as a fifth-round value, Brady okay. as a sixth. So all right. they're the top tier, but I, I basically I'm two rounds behind ADP on on all three of them. Right. And so when they do fall to you, uh, it's it's sometimes it's it's dumb to pass on them, um, especially if you're looking at the other options at the other positions, and they're not that much different. Like you might say your uh, your late round. Uh, or late fourth round receiver isn't that much different than somebody you can get in the fifth or sixth round. Um, whereas if you wait on quarterback, now you're looking at uh, Ben Roethlisberger or Andy Dalton or something at, at the quarterback spot. So it's nice to bank those points at the quarterback position. If uh, if you're normally going late round quarterback, who are your targets this year? I kind of like the middle round quarterback approach this year the most because I think once you get in that seventh, eighth, ninth round range, there are uh, some some solid values. So I've noticed Russell Wilson falls a little bit further than maybe he should into the mid to late seventh round. Matt Ryan, people continually overlook. Uh, yes, will will he throw thirty eight touchdown passes? Probably not. But could what's the over under? Right, thirty and a half somewhere in that range. So uh, I would take that with Matt Ryan, given that offense. And can we get it, Julio Jones some end zone targets, please? Just target this guy in the end zone a little bit. Um, Andrew Luck is now in that range, and Andrew Luck is so interesting because he could he could end up being a massive value or. He, you could have uh, you know a guy who's on pup or something like that on your hands that we just don't know yet. Uh, and then even Cam Newton, we've seen Cam Newton has been a top five fantasy quarterback in four of six years, and and our short term memory says, oh yeah, he's a quarterback too, but he has that that high ceiling, and I really like. I'm excited about the the weapons that they have there uh, with Christian McCaffrey and hopefully Curtis Samuel if he ever gets on the field. But if you want to do late round, I've been I've been talking about late round. I don't like drafting backup quarterbacks. Like if I was going to draft one of those guys, I'm probably not going to draft a backup quarterback. But if I go late round, I sometimes do like to take two quarterbacks in the very end. And I'll, what I'll do is I'll go uh, what I've been calling is the safe and upside. And, and essentially I go with one of these safe guys. So you mentioned Roethlisberger or Rivers is another one where Roethlisberger, he's not entirely safe. There's no such thing. But, well, when he's at home, at least, right, he's, yeah, he's pretty yeah. darn good. Rivers is pretty darn good over the first half of the season, so you got that going for you. Or you could even wait. You mentioned Andy Dalton. Worst he's ever finished is 
18th among fantasy quarterbacks. I mean, he's like your slow and steady quarterback too. Even Manning and Palmer, you can get him for nothing at the end of the draft. So like safer options and then pair it with an upside. Get Marcus Mariota. Get Tyrod, although I'm not as crazy about Tyrod as I was this time last week because Sammy losing Sammy kills some of his upside. But still, he's he's – Arguably the best running quarterback in the league, you know, led the position in rushing yards last year, and that every forty yards rushing is a is an additional passing touchdown by fantasy scoring. Uh, Carson Wentz could be in there. I think he takes a big step forward in year two, but you know, still a late round guy. And then Matthew Stafford as well, volatile. I wouldn't call him one of the safer options, but we know the upside is certainly there, and he seems to at least fit a little bit better in this Jim Bob Cooter offense than he did in. Uh, in the Lombardi offense before that. So pairing one of those two with, or one of those guys with the safer options, if I'm going late round quarterback. Yeah. And you can get uh, those last several guys you mentioned, you can get them 10th, 11th round or later. So uh, the draft capital you're using to get a committee uh, isn't uh, too significant. And circling back to Julio Jones, you'd be happy to hear that uh, Kelsey Conway uh, reported for Falcons.com that there has been a quote unquote, real emphasis on getting uh, Julio Jones, uh, more red zone touches uh, during camp. So hopefully that uh, plays out uh, during the year. Uh, moving on to the running, running back position, what are you seeing? You said there's a drop-off after the first 10 or so, or I don't know what the what your cutoff is there. Um, but uh, are there some middle-round guys, late-round guys that you're targeting? Yeah, so the the running backs, you're exactly right. I think it's 10. And, and then for me, I almost don't want to rank anybody like 11 and 12. Like, I don't want to admit that there are back-end RB1s. Like, Lynch, yeah, I, I like it. I'm not as concerned as other people. I think this narrative that he wasn't good in 2015 is completely false. He was fine. He was fine in 2015. Then he got hurt, and then obviously the retirement, and he was not outplayed by Thomas Rawls. Thomas Rawls had four good games against four bad defenses, including his best game, which which was against the worst run defense in the league that year, San Francisco, when he went for 200 plus. So I didn't really buy that. Um, Lynch gets to play behind a really strong offensive line, but the pitch count thing is the concerning thing with him. Fournette, is he a fit in that offense? That's my biggest question. I don't know if the run game there entirely fits his skill set. How is this offensive line going to perform? I mean, Cam Robinson looked great in the opener. I, I thought, okay, well, forget about you, Brandon Albert. Like, maybe maybe this was better for the Jags anyway. But how are they going to be able to sustain the run game there? Like, that's the question mark. You mentioned Crowell. I agree. Like, good run game, but are they going to run the ball? Like, that was the question last year. They were fine as, as a run offense. They just didn't run the ball, though. Carlos Hyde, you know, then you get into these even more question mark areas, uh, Lamar Miller, Ty Montgomery. It's just a weird spot of the draft. So I think you, you looked around four and, or five and six. There's a few guys that you can possibly pluck. It depends on if people fall asleep at the wheel with Danny Woodhead in PPR. Unlikely they will, but I think you get some good value there. I don't see him being much. He's not a hundred carry guy, but he could be heavily targeted with Dixon out of the mix there. Uh I, I still want to believe Eddie Lacy can be a starting running back. And I don't know if that's, you know, that's, that's that whole like Lee Evans scenario, like, Oh, this is going to be the year baby. But he, how can he not be right? Well, I'm not buying that. He's necessarily clearly the number two still getting acclimated after the ankle surgery. So there is the potential, like as a six round pick, it, it, he could be something. Now, of course we could look back in two weeks from now and say that, yeah, we're completely off on that one. Um, I, I mentioned Perkins for upside him and Amir Abdullah aren't, aren't that bad. It, it just falls off so dramatically though. By the time you get to the seventh round, you're in like the, you know, you're in the, like the premier handcuff range with, 
with guys like Coleman and, and not that he's a true handcuff and Henry. I, I just, I mean, I, I, the more I've, I've gone through drafts, the more I've gone through setting up my own draft board, the more I've said, wow, I really have to hammer running back early. And, and if, if I can get two of those top 10, I'm going to be pretty happy because I think there is so much more value at, at the uh, wide receiver position this year that you can get away with waiting a little bit more. It's a much deeper position. Yeah, I've looked at it both ways where as there's a lot of middle round running backs that I like, I, I uh, Abdullah, um, uh, Spencer Ware, Danny Woodhead, uh, Bilal Powell, uh, those guys. And then you got Theo Riddick just kind of hanging out there in the eighth, ninth round. Um, so I feel like there's good value there. Um, but then there's also really good value at the wide receiver position because then I'm passing on, uh, Michael Crabtree in the fourth or I'm passing on, uh, Pierre Garcon in the sixth or Willie Snead in the fifth and, uh, Tyrell Williams in the eighth. Uh, so, uh, I think you could go either way and end up with a pretty good roster because I think, you know, I'm, I guess I'm a little bit more bullish on those middle round running backs, but there's definitely question marks and that's why they're in the middle rounds around all those guys. Whereas if you're looking at, if you're comparing it, you want a safe team, uh, you know, a sixth round running back versus Pierre Garcon in PPR, you're, you're definitely a lot safer with, with Garcon. Um, in terms of what uh, his usage should be, um, you might be guessing a little bit with somebody like Mike Gillisley. Let me ask you about Mike Gillisley and that whole Patriots backfield. How do you think that, sh- that shakes out with uh, Rex Burkhead, uh, James White, and uh, Deion Lewis there? It's amazing how short-term the memory is in, in fantasy football because only, what, a year and a half ago, very likely, and then and then further back beyond, before the Blunt era, we talked about, oh, you can't trust a Bill Belichick running back. I mean, that was the constant narrative. And now it's like, oh, well, LeGarrette Blunt had 299 carries. He scored 18 times last year. Let's trust Bill Belichick running backs. Um you know, it's, and and again, what a difference a year makes. I last year in somewhere in the off season was before the preseason. We realized, okay, this whole Carlos Williams thing that didn't working out in Buffalo. So who's next man up? Looks like it's Mike Gillisley. And you know, I tweeted out one time. I said, oh, Mike Gillisley looks like he's going to be the handcuff to Lashawn McCoy. And I got back, and I, I don't know if this is like a, a meme thing or what, but I got back a whole bunch of tweets that said Mike Gillisley, meh, and it's like. Okay, now we all forget about that. Like, is mm-hmm. is he still this meh guy? Was he behind? It, what created his productivity last year? That's the question. Was it because the Buffalo Bills were tremendous at creating space for their their running backs, that offensive line? They were the number one offensive line in terms of yards before contact per attempt last year. Or was Gillisley, you know, maybe perhaps a little bit underrated? I I, I can't accurately answer that question. I know that he's volatile, though. Going into this situation, I we cannot just safely assume now he's he's going to get 250 plus carries out of that backfield and he's going to be in on every goal line situation because this talk about Rex Burkhead, who if you like dream up a perfect Bill Belichick running back, like Burkhead t- totally fits that mold. He can he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I mean, he's a very good receiver out of the backfield. Uh, we didn't really get to see much of him as a runner. Uh, we saw you know glimpses of him in Cincinnati. So there's a very real scenario that he eats into the work. I find myself every time I update rankings, I feel like I move Burkhead up just like a spot or two every time. And it just keeps creeping up and up and up. Uh, Dion Lewis, I, I, I really wish that that would come to fruition. I just I can't see how he's any better than 
the best he's, is he's third in this depth chart, and really any better than fourth, I think, is really the the scenario we're looking at because White is going to be locked in. White White was one of the most heavily targeted running backs in the league last year, and and now obviously everybody knows because of the playoff heroics. But I mean, he was a solid uh, uh, receiving running back throughout the entire season, and it kind of got overlooked a little bit because of Blunt's productivity. So it's a little bit more challenging, and I find that Gillisley right now is going earlier than I want to take him. You know, he's going. You know, a lot of times I'm seeing him go in the fourth round. I'd be much more comfortable in the fifth, sixth range than in the fourth round range. So it's just I'm a little bit apprehensive. I I have a little bit of a longer term memory with these Belichick backfields. (laughs) You you broke it down really well. Uh, I would recommend uh, that listeners go and check out uh, Joe Holka's article on rushing expectation because he studied uh, all the Patriot uh, running backs. And uh, he came away really impressed with uh, Mike Gillisley, but he also said that there's a lot of talent um, in this backfield. That article is coming out in a couple of days uh, on 444.com. Uh, I, I'm i interested to see what James, James White – I'm getting a lot of James White in the ninth, 10th, 11th round uh, PPR leagues, MFL 10s. And I – you know, the, the talk that he has locked down that passing down role – um, really attracts me to him. And, you know, even though, you know, Belichick could easily move the other way very quickly if White fumbles the ball uh, once or twice in a preseason game, uh, I think he's a good value at that point in the draft. And, and especially in MFL 10s, we don't have to worry about starting him every week. You can just kind of roll with the big games. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a few, uh, it was a year ago or two years ago where Deion Lewis was the hot item. And, uh, you know, we were really liking his uh, upside there in the fourth, fifth Round, but uh, I think from the other the power back standpoint, there Gillisley, you could also nab Gillisley and uh, take Rex Burkhead. He's still really cheap, thirteenth round, I think. Um, get them both, and then see what how things pan out uh, as the season starts to wear on. So, uh, moving on to the receiver position, what do you see in there? Well, I I think this year is it's it's interesting to see uh, the, the early parts of drafts. You just basically have like it's so chalk, it's so chalk in early drafts. Because if if you're no keepers, no dynasty, none of that fun stuff, just a regular redraft league, regardless of your scoring system, unless it's two quarterback, that's different. But you're going to see Bell and Johnson one combination or the other, and then a lot of times, you know, you basically can almost lock in. It's going to be Brown and then either Jones or Beckham in some order. Then it, it's it's you have this McCoy Gordon mini tier, and you have this like Evans uh, Green, and even some are thrown in Jordy Nelson into a mini tier there. But uh, you have that that chalk there that it makes it really difficult to do much of anything in the early rounds. I've noticed this in home league drafts. Like people are just lights out for the first like three or four rounds. Last year I was sitting in a draft and I'm like, you know, some of these guys I know they don't prepare. And it's like, how the heck is this guy doing this? And I realize, oh, he's just drafting off like top rank. He's just drafting off rankings, overall rankings. And and everybody in the industry, in the beginnings of our rankings, we're not that far off of each other. Mm-hmm. So once you get into the middle parts, though, that's where the, the, the wheels start to fall off of the drafts for a lot of those folks. And that's where you can make up a lot of ground at the wide receiver position. Like I said earlier on. I think you have this you have a lot of value that that is falling and you have some guys who are going maybe earlier than I like. I I there was a drinking game on my podcast for a while this offseason about Terrell Pryor because I said his name so often and I said I love Terrell Pryor and then people are saying, "Well, what about your boy Terrell Pryor?" And it's like he's not my boy anymore because he's going in the third round, right? I, he was my boy in the fifth round. I loved that. 
in the third round, I don't know. That floor is a little too low for me to to be drafting him like ahead of guys like Demarius Thomas, you know, or or whoever else like Alshon Jeffrey or somebody like that. I'd still take those guys ahead of him. And I know that uh, I just probably lost a couple followers on Twitter because Alshon Jeffrey's injury prone or whatever. But um, either way, I think you can make up that value in the in the middle rounds. Like there are guys who keep falling. I, I tweeted this out about Larry Fitzgerald, uh, actually right before this show. Larry Fitzgerald has had over 100 targets in 12 straight seasons, which is like a sick number. It's like a basic stat, but that's so sick. And you don't have to pay anything for him this year. Even in PPR, he's falling beyond the wide receiver twos, where I don't mind taking him there at all. I mean, you don't have a massive ceiling with him. You know that. But you have a a very decent floor. He still projects to lead that team in targets. So you can get value with guys like him. Uh, You can get value, crazy value with Emmanuel Sanders right now. What changed in Denver? What changed? What what is different about Denver this year than last year? I, I mean, other than yes, you have you have the coaching staff, which I would say is more favorable for the passing game this year than it was last year. And Emmanuel Sanders is going 13 spots behind an ADP compared to where he finished last year. He was a number 20 wide receiver. Like all day long, I'll take that. I mean, you can look for upside guys in that middle middle part of the draft. Uh, Deshaun Jackson always seems to be like annually undervalued, so you're shooting for high ceiling, obviously. But you can you can you know, go after somebody like him. I don't mind Jeremy Macklin in Baltimore. Uh, I, I I don't mind even if you want to take a shot on somebody like Devontae Parker in that like ninth round, eighth ninth round range, because you know there's upside, and we know that. If Jay Cutler gets eyes for him, we don't know if that's going to happen or not, but Cutler, once he gets eyes for somebody, boy, he just locks into those guys and he will throw it no matter what. Uh, So if that happens to be Parker, Parker could easily outplay that ADP and it keeps going. That's the cool thing. Like you look down even further and you start to, you get into that like late round range and there's all of these upside guys like, you you know, and their floors are, are really low, but you can go after John Ross. You can go after Josh Doxson, Kevin White, Tyler Lockett, uh, Kenny Galladay, which, uh, well, I'm sure, I'm sure his ADP is going to skyrocket now that people figured out who he was. Brashad Perryman. I mean, there's all these question marks for sure, but the ceilings of these guys are just so enticing. That's why I've, I have been front-loading with running backs because I know that later on in the draft, I'm just going to start chucking darts at, at wide receivers and, and hoping that, that maybe I pop a balloon with one of them. I'm going to ask you about a, a specific receiver uh, that is pretty divisive this year uh, in terms of whether or not he's going to be able to translate what he did last year into a wide receiver one role in Kansas City. It's Tyreek Hill. Uh, you know, he's likely to see uh, significantly more targets, uh, run significantly more routes with Jeremy Macklin out of there. What do you? What's your take on high, uh, Hill in the fourth round? I don't mind it in the fourth round. Early fourth round might be pushing it for me, and uh, I actually just saw him go in the third round of a draft. That's too early. Uh, the, the, you know, if you look at it from a volume standpoint, the volume is going to be higher than last year, but it's not as if we'll look back this time last year. Oh, remember when Tyreek Hill had 150 targets? Like we're not going to see that. Uh, and, and I love, I don't know if you get the push notifications, but I get this push notification from like the NFL app and it's like, uh, Alex Smith bombed a Tyree kill and you watch the play and it's, it's like not a bomb. It was like a 28 yard pass. Like, is that well, an Alex Smith? That's an yeah, Alex that's, Smith bomb. Yeah. I mean, he threw it on a rope to him down the sideline though. And, and, you know, hopefully we see a little bit more of that. We know that he's electric. We know that, but touchdown regression is a very real thing. He couldn't keep scoring at that rate. So I don't mind. I, I like the fact that if you're taking him in the mid to late fourth round, you are going for upside. It's just there are guys going 
behind him who I would rather take. Like I mentioned Alshon Jeffrey earlier. I think I would rather have him. Uh, you get into that uncomfortable range, though, where you have – you mentioned Allen Robinson earlier. There's Sammy Watkins in that range. You have somebody like Devontae Adams who, you know, we talk about touchdown regression. I mean that could be a thing for him as well because he was very touchdown dependent last year. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't mind where he's going. I'm just not going to take him any higher than than about that mid-fourth round range. Yeah, and as you were talking uh, in your initial spiel about the uh, receiver position, I was just looking at – it's pretty similar to the uh, running back position if, if you look at it. I, I'm looking at MFL 10 ADP of Brown, Beckham, Julio Jones, Mike Evans, uh, A.J. Green, Jordy Nelson, Michael Thomas, Amari Cooper, which I think that's pretty high for him in my opinion, uh, T.Y. Hilton, uh, Des Bryant, and then Doug Baldwin. And then after that, you're getting into Brandon Cooks, DeAndre Hopkins, Demarius Thomas. Uh, Sammy Watkins, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, uh, Terrell Pryor, uh, Elgin Jeffrey, Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill. So you're getting a lot of question marks there early in the third round, and it's sort of a similar uh, drop-off uh, as the as the running back position as to where that's happening. And that's why I'm sitting there in the third round, uh, pick three in the third round, and I'm like, I don't know who to take. I don't like any of these running backs here. I don't like any of these wide receivers here. And sometimes I end up taking uh, Travis Kelsey or uh, potentially a quarterback, but not very often. Uh Speaking of Travis Kelsey in the tight end position, um, what's your usual strategy uh, with the with the position? It's a onesie position, so you can wait and get some value late, or uh, do you believe in having a weapon at that position? Now, because you're only typically drafting one, if not two, sometimes two, but very rarely am I going to draft a back end, uh, backup tight end. The value cost of missing is more significant than if you missed in that same spot with a running back or wide receiver because you just don't you don't have anybody else on on your bench to to roll right in. So now you're relying on the waiver wire, and you know for every Gary Barnage out there, there are, there are a whole bunch of schmoes. You know Gary Barnage a couple of years ago when you were able to pick him up, there are a whole bunch of schmoes that that don't pan out. So. I don't like to take that early tight end approach. I understand the philosophy behind it, but you look at somebody like Rob Gronkowski. Is he amazing? Yes. He's arguably the best tight end to ever play the game. That that argument could fairly be made. He's also extraordinarily injury prone. So when you have him on the field, it's awesome. But if you invest a second round pick and then he's gone, I mean, you just whiffed on that pick, you know, so I don't I don't like to take Gronk in the second round. I understand why people are taking him there. And if you wanted to take him there, I'm not going to fault you. I'm just not going to make that move. Kelsey in the late third, maybe, or I'm more comfortable with him in the fourth round. If he's going to be there in the fourth round, I have found myself take him a few times because, you know, you look at Reed, the same injury issues uh, that 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 give me pause with Gronkowski are there with Reed. Uh, Olsen's steady, uh, but, and, and I, I sometimes, if, he, if he's in there in, in the sixth round, I, I've been, t- I take, I've taken him a couple times in the sixth round. I find that sometimes I'm looking elsewhere and then he comes off the board right before I would maybe take him. So I typically don't get anybody from that, that first four where I've really been keying in on is Kyle Rudolph first and foremost, Coming off a career year, he's right in the wheelhouse of tight end production. You know, tight ends from a yards per catch standpoint peak at age 29. That's way later than wide receivers. It's obviously way, way later than running backs and yards per carry. And what was Rudolph last year? I mean, he's he's 27 years old now. He'll turn 28 during the course of the season. I mean, it's the upslope of his career still. Uh, and people are overlooking it. They don't want to believe that that last year was real. 
He's like the perfect Sam Bradford receiver, so I'm still buying in. You can get him in a nice value, and I think Zach Ertz really benefits from Jordan Matthews being out. Uh, that's there's been some chatter about that in the Philadelphia the the Philadelphia beat right now, but uh, that 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 intermediate short and intermediate receiver over the middle. Ertz can do a lot of damage there because when you have Nelson Aguilar and Mac Hollins as the the potential two slot receivers, they, neither one of those do much for me. If Ertz could just score a few more touchdowns, that'd be a nice thing. If I'm going to wait, uh, I've noticed like you can get Austin Hooper still pretty late if if you want to take that risk. Nobody believes in Kobe Fleener, so you can get him in like the last round. <laughs> which, considering where he was going last year, and even considering where he finished last year, is is a pretty good value. You have Julius Thomas late as well. I, I don't mind taking him, given that we know the Gase offense really liked him in the in the red zone before. Um, so you can get some value there. There are a few guys who I think I would try to avoid uh, at ADP. I'm avoiding Hunter Henry. Uh, the narrative that, that Gates is just going to simply disappear this year, I think, is overstated. And we, we even saw that in the first preseason game. He scored a touchdown. He's going to play in third down situations and in red zone situations, which, duh, that's when they're passing. <laughs> so he's going to be on the field and he's going to see a share of targets. I don't think it's going to be a scenario where Hunter Henry all, the, all of a sudden, you know, Gates almost doubled up Henry's targets last year. I don't think it's the exact opposite. I think it's more of a 50-50 split. So Henry ends up being maybe a little bit overvalued where he's going. I like him, but maybe a little bit overvalued. So I, I'm trying to avoid uh, uh, taking him at, at where he's going. Yeah, Henry, I have him lower than where he's going as well. The upside with him is is if something happens to Gates, all of a sudden you have uh, you know, probably a top eight or seven um, tight end in terms of targets and, and scoring, but you can't count on that. Uh, it's interesting looking at the the rankings or the the ADP for for the tight end position. You got Gronk, Kelsey, Olson, Reed, Graham. I like Jimmy Graham there in the sixth round, by the way. Uh, Tyler Eifert, Kyle Rudolph there is going with pick eighty two. So this is this is MFL ten. So this is PPR. He's going in the middle of the seventh round. Um, and then there's like a stretch of guys there that I'm comfortable starting. And then all of a sudden there's a steep drop off. I mean, I'd be okay with, uh, Delaney Walker, Zach Ertz, Martellus Bennett, uh, Eric Ebron, even Jack Doyle. And then after that, we get into OJ Howard, Austin Hooper, Kobe Fleener. Uh, I think Jason Witten is a, is a good value, even though his upside is not there. If you're just going to wait, he's going in like the 12th round. Um, he's finished in the top 11, I think. 45 straight years uh, PPR format. So uh, he's a, he's a pretty good value as a 17th uh, tight end off the board. Um, and then you mentioned Julius Thomas as well, but what do you make of these, uh, these rookie tight ends? I mean, there's a long history of rookie tight ends disappointing. We have OJ Howard going 14th. We have uh, Evan Ingram going 19th. We've got Njoku going uh, 22nd. Uh, these are all being drafted as, you know, tight end twos. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, I think the O.J. Howard thing is is really over-exaggerated. People forget that, that Cameron Braid is still there. In the first preseason game, I thought Cameron Braid looked solid. Had two catches uh, in that contest as well. So we're overlooking that. They're going to cannibalize off of each other's value. And I've been saying that for a long time. And I actually saw a report off uh, out of the Tampa beat that said, uh, Howard may be more of a blocking tight end in year one, so we may want to pump the brakes on him. Yes, he's a specimen. Yes, he's a future tight end one, but that future isn't in 2017. It's down the road. And you're right, it takes a while for these guys to to really materialize. You mentioned Ingram. I mean, anytime you got you got a four you got four four wheels at the tight end position. I mean, he ran a full route tree in college, too. He is a move tight end, straight up move tight end. And it'll be interesting to see how they use him. Now, what I think about Ingram, though, is Ingram 
Ingram is going to be a guy this year who may win some people some money in DFS, but I think he's going to be maddeningly inconsistent in season long. So I'm not looking at him. And then in Joku, you know, is Seth DeValve this year's Cameron Braid? I mean, maybe not to that degree. I don't think he's going to lead the position in, in touchdowns or anything like that, but Ivy leaguer, you know, like at the tight end position, getting a little bit of buzz. And then all of a sudden he has the 40 catches or so, or something like that, 35 catches, but that cannibalizes off of in Joku and in Joku, uh, for what it's worth, I mean, freakishly, freakishly athletic. And he was the national high jump champion in high school, like a seven foot high jumper. And he's got uh, better blocking ability than I think some people may realize. But he's he's a he's a rookie. He is very much a rookie, and he still has a learning curve at that position. And the tight end position is not running back. A lot of times we see these running rookie running backs come out and really impress, even guys who we don't think. Would would do so like Rob Kelly last year for what he did admirable job you know he faded down the stretch but he was fantasy relevant and you know as a rookie for a tight end to do that even a top a first round pick a day one pick at the position is so rare I mean you mentioned that over the last ten years two rookie tight ends have have been top ten like you said how hard it is so two rookie tight ends have been top ten in fantasy scoring one of them is the greatest tight end arguably of all time. And the other is freaking John Carlson, but uh, either way, it's it's so hard. Even Hunter Henry, with how productive he was last year, he wasn't even a top ten fantasy scorer. So I'm just not buying into it. I, I think they're great for dynasty. Love having any one of those three, plus a few deeper down the list in this year's class in dynasty leagues. But in redraft, I'm passing on all three. Let me ask you about a couple of uh, veterans that are going pretty late. These are these are guys going after all the rookies. Uh, Jared Cook in Oakland, uh, you know, very productive for the, the Packers when he was healthy. You know, we know he's a great athlete, good speed. Um, you know, Oakland has a history of ignoring the tight end position, but it might be because uh, of who they have had playing there. And this looks like it's a an attempt to um, rectify that. You have Gates going 24th. Um, I, I don't think that he's going to be just a, a sideline, you know, sitting on the sideline if he's healthy. And then Austin Safarian Jenkins, uh, maybe the top receiver for the Jets once he comes back from his uh, his suspension. He's, he's cleaned up his life. He's quit drinking. He's quit fast food. He's dropped 25 pounds and apparently is the best, has been the best offensive weapon in Jets camp, which isn't maybe saying a whole lot. But uh, uh, what do you think of those three? I think with Cook, we're going to get what, what we what we know we're going to get. You know, he's going to have that one massive game, right? You know, go for 100 yards and two scores or something. Everybody's going to run out to the waiver wire, pick him up. And then the next week, he's going to go two catches for 18 yards. You know, like that's Jared Cook's MO. But he's got to stay on brand. We got to give him that. Either way, I thought that Clive Walford actually looked good in the first preseason game. And I know we kind of forgot about him, but he was a young tight end, learning curve, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know if we necessarily can entirely just say, oh, it's it's all Jared Cook. Then again, I'm not going to go all in on Clive Walford either. I think if you wanted to take Jared Cook as a back end tight end two with some uh, obviously with some touchdown upside, I mean, his quarterback has thrown 60 touchdowns over the last two years. Then I'm fine with that. Just know that you know there's there can be some madding, maddening maddening uh, volatility with with Jared Cook, Gates as you mentioned. Hey, we know the connection there is very real. And like I said, he's going to be on the field in red zone situations and end zone or in uh, in in third down situations as well. It's just you're probably going to be banking more so on touchdown production than on volume. So there's there's that you kind of have to balance balance that one out there. 
Uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins, this is a great story though. You know, I always love when you know, everybody has redeeming qualities and, and yeah, the, the beginning of his career was so marred by so many different things. And it sounds like he's really got it at this point in his life, which is tremendous to see because he's still a young guy as well. And we saw flashes in Tampa where, wow, this guy could be something. He's a monster of a human being. He has receiving ability. Uh, you know, he can go up and catch the ball. He can, he can run. Uh, there's a lot to like, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, though, the thing to not like is this is a team. I mean, what, what do we, what do we set the over under for the Jets wins at this year? Is it two? Is it two and a half? Is that too much? I mean, there's, there's a lot the defense on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously they have lots of talent, but both of their running backs are hurt. You know, and they're both old, by the way, not just Matt Forte. Billy Powell is turning 29 this year during the season. That's sneaky old for the position. And those injuries start to mount up even when you don't have a lot of wear and tear on your tires like he he doesn't really have. But Elijah McGuire, could that be could we have weeks where Elijah McGuire is the lead back at wide receiver? Everybody is gone from last year. So now you have Robbie Anderson, Sharon Peak, who you say Sharon Peak's name and the immediate response is who? You get uh and he's not Mike Jones, so that's not appropriate, right? You have uh you uh, uh who else? Uh our uh, Darius Stewart, Chad Hansen, who I was like I was a Chad Hansen supporter in the pre-draft process, but I mean he's he's far down the depth chart. Uh Jalen Marshall suspended to open the season. And then Josh McCown, you talk about Jason Witten being a, a tight end one for the last, you know, 35 years or so. Well, Josh McCown has been in the NFL all that time, too. He's, I think he's been in the league since the late 1800s. And this guy's never actually played 16 full games or 16 games in a season. Now, some of that because he was a backup, but he, as a starter, has never proven that he can fully stay on the field. So I, I like the fact that he threw a bomb to Robbie Anderson in the first preseason game, but we only saw like nine snaps of McCown. Can McCown stay on the field? Because if not, are we talking Hack City? Are we talking Bryce Petty? What What are we? Wow. It, it's going to get really bad really quickly. So I, I like Safarian Jenkins. I don't mind throwing a dart with him, but you are definitely playing f- with fire with, with with really any of these Jets players. I hope I hope everybody that started this podcast finished it to hear this Jets rant that uh, I sent you off on uh, with the Austin Safarian Jenkins mention. He might be a, a, a DFS play, a sneaky cheap play, uh, and uh, or maybe in uh, the, the tight end premium uh, drafts, you know, late round pick where you're getting a point and a half per. Uh, per reception, but uh, I just, I'm rooting for him. I think I'm in the same boat with you. It's like, it's nice to see this. And, you know, his career got off to such a, uh, you know, there was flashes and then it just kind of went, started spiraling the, the toilet. And then now you see him reemerging um, as a kind of a clean, he cleaned up his life and has got it together. And, and there's a lot of buzz about him uh, on a bad team where, you know, they might throw a lot. Uh, Josh McCown, when he was the quarterback, did enhance uh, Gary Barnage's uh, numbers in Cleveland. I know I'm digging deep here to to, to try to find reasons to like uh, one of the Jets, but uh, he, you know, Safarian Jenkins is six six. He's 25 years old. He's got great measurables. He his best comparable at uh, PlayerProfiler.com is Tyler Eifert. So he's got uh, all the physical tools you could want. And I just think for a very cheap, if you're if you're looking at like a couple of cheap um, tight ends and you want uh, you're, you're hoping one of them emerges, I I like him as as a very late late round pick. All right, so that uh, wraps up uh, the eighth. I think you were a great eighth-round pick, uh, Jeff, by the way. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. Um, make sure you check out his work at Jeff Ratcliffe on Twitter. You can find him at Pro Football Fa- uh, Focus Fantasy. He's on Sirius, uh, CBS Sportsnet when the season's going. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Jeff. 
Yeah, middle round value right here. Thanks, John. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. I think you were a league winning pick. Uh, we'll see you next time on uh, 444's Most Accurate Podcast.